We're going to study tonight an epic halachic controversy of 400 years ago. The, in Helchus Gittin, there are a number of Gittin that are famous by their name, the named Gittin. There's the Get of Cleve, which was a get about which there was a controversy about the mental competence of the husband to give the get. There's the, the in our time, there was the get of Tzfas, a get that was given in Tzfas by the Bastin on behalf of a man who was in a persistent vegetative state, Rabbi J. David Blythe, in an epic put-down. He was not impressed by the arguments for those who authorized the get, so after a 70-page rebuttal, he writes, there are a number of named Gittin that are famous in history because of the great debates they engender and the great fruitful halachic discourse. They include the one we're going to study tonight, the Get of Cleve, and so on. The Get of Tzfas is not one of them, he says. There's nothing new and nothing significant, even though he just spent 70 pages explaining why they're wrong. Nothing new, it will not go down for various reasons. Uh, we don't have people of great enough stature on both sides. It's, uh, there's nothing fundamentally new, and so on. But the get of Tzfas in our time is uh, arguably a memorable get. And then there is one, the fir- the, one of the first of the, of the named Gittin. That's the one we're going to study tonight, and that is the get of Vienna. The get of Vienna was given in Vienna a little more than 400 years ago. In the years, Shina- the, the controversy unfolded over the years Shinai and Aleph and Shinai and Bez, the years 1611 and 1612. A get was given in Vienna, and a controversy erupted about the validity of this get. The controversy soon engulfed all the Gedolei Torah of Ashkenazic Europe, the Maharam Lublin, the Lavush, the Bach, the Taz, the Sma, the Marsha, the Masas Benyamin, and there was a tremendous argument that spanned a couple of years, as we'll see, even the political authorities of the Jewish community, the Vad Arba Ratzos, the Council of the Four Lands, or as it was known back then, the Council of the Three Lands, it, its name varied by which, which districts of Poland, which uh, lands of Poland were included in any given year. They got involved. It was, uh, as I said, it was an epic argument, and there, there, was, uh, th- there was substantially interesting halacha that grew out of that. We're going to study tonight the several tshuvas in the, of the Maram Lublin, the mayor of Lublin. He was one of the Gedolei Torah of that time. In the yeshiva world, he's most famous for being the author of the Maram, the commentary on Gemara, printed in the back, together with the Marsha and the Marshal of Common Vilna Gemaras, a useful, very you know, down-to-earth, bread-and-butter commentary, useful for understanding basic pshat of Gemara Rashi Tosis. He also, however, was a towering posik. When you learn halacha, the Maram Leblin, his, his chuvas are an important, uh, are, are, are an extremely important work of that time. And he was, he was the single most important, the single most important of the opponents of the get. He felt the get was not valid for reasons that we'll see tonight. His ally, his, his, one, his, his major great ally, was another famous Polish posik, and that was Lavush, Mordechai Yaffa, the author of the Lavush, also one of the towering postmen of that time, and we'll see one of his tshuvas on the, on the matter tonight also. So those two, they were the two noted Gedolei Torah who opposed the get of Vienna, who felt it was not a valid get, and arrayed against them were all the other Gedolim of Europe, most of the other, you know, all the other famous Gedolim of Europe, the Bach, the Taz, Masas Benyamin, the Beishmuel, and so on, were all arrayed against these two. So tonight we're only going to see the question from the perspective of the Machmirim, from the perspective of the Maram Lublin and the Lavush. Maybe another time we'll turn toward the we'll, we'll turn to the perspective of the Mekilim. But for tonight we're going to see the the perspective of the vehement Machmirim, those who insisted vigorously and repeatedly that the get in question was was void was Batel, and that the woman could not remarry. Now, as we'll see, in the, as we'll see in, the, in, the, in the case, as we discuss it, the people involved were rich. The man and the woman were rich. Whether that had anything to do with uh, the fact that all the Gedolim were getting involved is not clear. It did have to do with the case. It did have to do with the facts of the case, because 
one of the reasons the, 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 there came to be such a, an argument about this get had to do with the fact that there was money involved. Whether, whether that had anything to do with the interest of the Gedolim to get involved with this case or not, I don't know, but uh, we're going to see throughout the Tshuvas, they're going to mention that the people involved were rich and influential. They were young. The, the husband was 16. The, the husband was 16. I don't think, I didn't see anywhere it says how old the woman was, but uh, it was the family of the woman that was making the trouble, apparently. They were manipulating things to a certain extent, at least as understood by the Maram Leblin. They were apparently a rich and powerful family, and that was where, that was where the trouble started. Now, the other thing to keep in mind as we discuss this case, the case itself is uh, not that complicated. It's a little bit involved, but it's not that complicated. But the other, thing to keep in, the other thing to keep in mind is that the basic issue, the crux of the matter that was being debated here between the Maram Lublin and his opponents was whether the get had been obtained under false pretenses, whether the chassan had been deceived, manipulated, hoodwinked, into giving the get improperly, which the Maram Lublin felt was grounds for invalidating the get. Now, if the chassan had been manipulated, then in addition to a question as to the ritual kashras of the get, this is an avla, this is something, this is an injustice and a, a wrong that was perpetrated on somebody by somebody else, and that should require redress as well. Nevertheless, the, the bulk of the analysis, at least the, the few pages we're going to see tonight, in the Maram Lublin, there are the chuvas are kufchav beis to kufchav vav, so that there there are there are about five chuvas, some of which have multiple parts in the Maram Lublin, plus the other chuvas involved. Pages and pages and pages of dense halachic discussion. I did not read all of it, but the the bulk of the discussion is going to revolve around the relatively neutral area of Hilchas Gitin. Is the get valid or not? one senses, perhaps, that the undercurrent of the Maram Leblin's position that beneath the surface is the fact that he was outraged at the way he felt the, the husband had been treated. But we'll have to see. We'll, we'll, but uh, nevertheless, the, 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 the main halachic arguments have to do with the, the laws of Gittin rather than, rather than a sense of injustice that has, to be, that has to be righted. So with that introduction, let's consider the case. So the Maram Lublin begins in Simon Kufchot Beis, telling us what actually happened. Now, as in all great controversies, in addition to all the halachic debates, there was also debate about what exactly happened. There were diverging accounts of what, what actually took place, whether, how material they are, the, it, it, we can debate, but the, the, this is, broadly speaking, this is the outline of the, of the episode as related by the Maram Lublin. He, discuss, he says he was consulted about a Maset Tamua Vizar, a uh, disturbing and, uh, and, and baffling incident that recently occurred in Vienna. So there was a Get Shchivmira. Get Shchivmira is a term of art. Shchivmira is someone who is gravely ill and in serious danger of death. So it was common to give a Get. Now, why is he giving a Get? If he dies, she can remarry anyway. The answer is, it was common to give a get to avoid the entanglements of Yibum and Chalitza. The halacha is that if a man dies childless, then his wife cannot, if he has brothers, his wife, one or more brothers, his wife cannot remarry until she performs either Yibum or Chalitza. Ashkenazim don't do Yibum, so you're left with Chalitza. Now, Chalitza itself is not that difficult to do. It's a relatively simple procedure. It's, you know, it requires experts, but it's, it's not that complicated. Nevertheless, chalitza was something that was often dreaded. It was, it was very much dreaded by people for a variety of reasons. Some people felt the ceremony was degrading. But beyond that, there was a concern that the brothers wouldn't always cooperate with chalitza. Certainly, if the brother was far away, he might not be reachable, you couldn't do chalitza. If the brother was a minor, if all the brothers were minors, minors can't do chalitza. There's no choice but to wait till they grow up. It could take years. If the brother is mentally incapacitated, a shote, he can't do chalitza. If the brother is a mishumad, if the brother is not, uh, if the brother has apostatized, he can do chalitza, but he likely won't cooperate, especially if his relations with the family and the community are uh, strained. So chalitza was a very fraught procedure, and a woman who doesn't get chalitza has a status of an aguna, she can't remarry. So people tried very hard 
They had all kinds of solutions to avoid getting involved in a situation of chalitza. So one of which was the get If a person was gravely ill, and he, and he had no, no son, no children, and he, and he had a brother, so people would often give a get, a provisional get, or a get without any provisions, that, that would enable his widow to remarry without Nini Chalitza, because she technically she would be a divorcee, not a widow at this point, in case he died. So that was a get So what happened in Vienna was there was a get The get was issued by this young man. He was 16. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak, Valfish, of the city of Lvov, of Lemberg. It was given to his wife, Bathsheba, Bas Hakotzin. Kotzin is a term you know, meaning aristocrat or someone important, someone wealthy. So his wife, his wife was uh, of an important family, and he gave a get to his wife. Details what happened, Gufa de Uvda, were as follows that the first the family, the wife's family, approached the man and they said, You you don't have a Shtar Khalitza. You haven't produced a Shtar Khalitza. A Shtar Khalitza was a document Ashkenazim used to execute. It was a guarantee, it was a binding commitment from the brothers promising, possibly with penalties, to guarantee enforcement. It was a document, a legal document that guaranteed that Khalitza would be performed, if necessary, by the brothers. So the wife's family complained to him. They said, you haven't, you haven't obtained a shtar chalitza. So we're very concerned that if you die, you're gravely ill, that if you die, then your widow will be stuck. She might not get chalitza. So we'd like, to, uh, we'd like to find a solution. They said, please do us a favor. Give her a get. No cost to you, they said. No harm done. Because if you, uh, if you get better, if you recover from your illness... She'll go back and be married to you. Everything will go along as before. And the only, the only, the only point of this get is that if you, if you don't make it, then, then, then she won't have to worry about chalitza. But there's no harm done. If you live, if you live, the marriage will go on as, uh, as before. If you don't live, you'll be doing, your, you'll be doing your, your wife a favor. So they told him that that's what we want you to do. Now we're going to do the get, the masader get, the person who, who arranges the get is going to ask you all kinds of questions. Just answer the question. Today we actually have, we liter- today, I don't know how they did it in the Maram's time, but today we literally use a script. We actually hand the, we actually hand the, the man a, a script and we say, this is your part. You know, answer, answer exactly as written here when, when we ask you the questions. The masader reads his script. The, the Megarish reads his script. So they told him, we're going to go through a whole bunch of, of formula here. Just answer yes when you're supposed to say yes. Answer no when you're supposed to say no. Again, no harm. None of this is going to matter to you, he says, because if you survive, the marriage will continue. If you don't survive, you'll just be doing her a favor, and there's no harm to you. So please do this for us. He agreed. So when the Masadar Gitan came, and again, the Masadar explained to him that, that we're asking you to give a get to your wife to avoid Chalitza, and they explained to him, the first thing they explained was, they, 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 added, they added an important rule. They said, today, we don't execute a conditional get. In the time of Chazal, the time of the Mishnah, the time of the Gemara, anyone who has studied Gitin will know that get al a get that was given conditionally, was a huge topic. There are entire prakim that deal with get given al So the, we don't do that, though. That, 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 was a, that was a mechanism that was used in the time of the Mishnah and the Talmud, but later authorities decided that Tanai is, is, too, is too problematic. It can cause all kinds of problems. The minute today, for many hundreds of years, is that we do not give get al Tanai. We only give unconditional getting. So the Masadr Get, 400 years ago, explained this to the Megarish. They say it's true that, that we understand that the whole point of this get, obviously, or the, 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 the context was the get was intended to be provisional. But they told him, the Masadr told him, we're not actually going to make it tonight, because the Minogis, we don't do that. We never give a get out tonight. We give a get stomach. However, don't worry, Altidag, he told him, don't worry about it. Because again, they use the same language, no harm done, because uh, you're only giving this to avoid, to avoid a problem of chalitza, to avoid a problem of chalitza, which either is undesirable or may not happen. But if you get better, then she'll remarry you, she'll be your wife, as originally. Furthermore, the Masadr told him, I'll arrange, I'll arrange instruments containing guarantees. Kishur, bitachon muchlat, I'll arrange for, a, for an enforceable and uh, binding 
arrangement, uh, committing her to remarry you, committing her to go back to the marriage. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be potent and, uh, and compelling. You don't have to worry. Everything is going to be designed in a way that there's no downside risk to you. You're just doing her a favor at no cost to yourself. This young man, he trusted them. He was, he was naive and trusting. Maram Lublin explains why. He was young. He was only 16. And he was Gerberis uh, Nachria. He apparently was not, he apparently was not uh, from Vienna. So he was, uh, he, he was a foreigner. He, he wasn't on, on familiar territory. He was young. He was sick, as the Post can point out later. He was uh, gravely ill. So, you know, he didn't have all his, uh, he may not have had all his wits about him even. So he, he couldn't start conducting his own investigations. So he gave the get. He agreed to this, uh, this procedure and he gave the get. Then when it was time to, uh, to also set up this document that, uh, that would bind her to remarry him, we don't want to do the get outside, but we do want to execute a separate document that she commits herself in a binding manner to return to him if he gets better. So here they tricked him again. They manipulated him and they tricked him. Literally, they entrapped him in their snares. Instead of doing a proper binding commitment, which would have involved the cherem, typically what they used to do when they used to make engagements in general, anytime they wanted an engagement contract to be binding, they would add a cherem. They would add in a penalty that anyone who fails to live up to his obligations under this agreement will violate, uh, violate a cherem, a very serious cherem. Cherems were taken very, very seriously. So instead of writing that phrase, which would have made it much more difficult for them to back out, they omitted that. They omitted any mention of cherem. And they simply said, that they simply put in a financial penalty. They said that if either side does not, does not go through with this commitment to get, get back together, they will obligate themselves the sum of 2,000 zehuvim, 2,000 gold coins, Sounds like a lot. Again, these were rich people, but it, it was a fair amount of money. But they left out the cherem. Furthermore, 2,000 zehuvim is, uh, is a pretty good chunk of change. However, the ksuva, we today, we typically write a flat ksuva. Chazal said a ksuva is 200 zuz. Chazal talk about Tosefus ksuva. We use a figure called 100 zekukin. We, we, typically, as my father always points out, we, we rarely actually collect the sum of the ksuva. But in those days, several hundred years ago, the ksuva was a serious and realistic figure. And rich people often had much larger ksuvas. They often put in numbers that were much larger. Not, not the exaggerated ksuvas that some cultures did, but in Ashkenaz, they, had, they, had, they often actually put in real figures. That the husband was on the hook in a binding contract for a large sum of money if he divorced her. This guy's ksuva was 4,600 ksuva. And they stipulated that in this, uh, in this document, they stipulated that the ksuva and the tosefes, which together equals 4,600 zehuvim, is not being waived, so that, the, so that if, the, if she breaks the, this new uh, commitment to, to remarry, she will be penalized 2,000 zehuvim, because she backed out of the 2,000 zehuvim penalty. However, she has an outstanding debt, because he divorced her, and she never waived her ksuva, of 4,600 zehuvim. And that was enough to, to wipe him out, basically, to, to pretty much, uh, that, to, to, on the contrary. She could back out, and she would walk away with an outstanding obligation against him for 2,600 zehuvim. All right? So this was a, uh, not a very fair or reasonable contract for him, for, not a very reasonable arrangement for him to make, to divorce her, put himself on the hook, for all this, she has no penalty of cherem for backing out, and on the contrary, she can hit him over the head for, uh, for a lot of money. But he, but he didn't fully appreciate what was being done here, at least as understood by the Maram Lublin. He signed all these documents, he first gave the get unconditionally, then he also set up this, uh, either before or after, that was one of the debated points, I think, set up this, uh, this arrangement that they're committing to get back together, but if not, then the, the reneging party has an obligation of 2,000 zehuvim, but he, as the husband, would also have a 4,600 Tehuvim obligation from, from the divorce, from letting her go from the original marriage. And uh, they did more tachpulos, he says. They, they did other uh, shenanigans, other uh, devious maneuvers, and, which all indicates that they were acting in bad faith from the beginning. They were setting him up 
because they wanted out of the marriage to begin with, her family. This was a long time ago. This was 400 years ago. Today, we probably would wonder whether the woman has any agency in all this. The woman doesn't seem to have any agency at all in all the chuvas I saw. All the actions described are being taken place by, are, 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 being, are being performed by her family. I don't know if she uh, has a role in this or not, but either way, her side, her or her family, ha- had, according to the Maram Lublin, they had engineered all this uh, manipulative and deceitful procedure in order to uh, get him to release them from the marriage. They were going to walk away. They were never planning on getting back together. And sure enough, that is what happened. He says when, when he recovered from his illness, he did eventually recover. The young man uh, lived. He survived. And they said, let's do, for some reason they told him, let's do a new uh, engagement contract. You're, now you, you divorced her, let's, let's set up a new engagement contract so you can get remarried. And they, it was going to be more or less along the same plan, that uh, 2,000 Zoho penalty for withdrawing, but he still has an outstanding 4,600 from the Ksuva. Furthermore, they, they told him, we're only going to do this if you, if you sign over your house and put your, your house in Lvov, put your house in her name as well. And he agreed to that too. Now he doesn't have his house. He has a 4,600 outstanding obligation from the divorce. And he may get 2,000 uh, from the penalty if she walks away. So that's what happened, sure enough. They, uh, after they, they set up this new engagement deal, they told him, sorry, we're changing our mind. We're not interested in going through with the marriage after all. You already divorced her and we are breaking this new engagement. And if you want to sue us for the 2,000 Zohov penalty for a breach of contract, don't forget, we are going to uh, sue you for the whole ksuva, for the 4,600, and, and so on. And therefore, just uh, cut your losses, walk away, and uh, we've won. And they, they promptly engaged the woman to someone else, and that was, the, that, that was how the story stood when they approached the Maram Leblin. That, you know, that this is like, uh, this is like from uh, Merchant of Venice, my daughter, my Ducats, you know, he, he's losing his wife, he's losing all his assets, he lost his house, and uh, now the question is, so what's the halacha here? This is how they proposed, this is how they submitted the question to Maram Lublin, they said, please tell us, uh, did you ever hear of such an outrage? Again, they, the way they presented the question, they obviously were sympathetic to the man, but the question, again, that the primary question that was discussed by the postkim is not the, the civil law question, is this fair, does he have any recourse uh, for the money? The primary question that, they, that, they, that was being debated was, is the get a valid get or not? Obviously, that would impact their financial arguments as well. If the get is not a valid get, then he has tremendous leverage over her, because she can't get married until he, uh, until he issues the get, and he has tremendous leverage then for trying to right some of these wrongs that were done to him by forcing them to... Uh, cough up some of the stuff, some of their ill-gotten gains. If the get is a good get, then he has very little leverage. He can maybe sue them, maybe there's some kind of civil claim here, but uh, if, if the get is a good get, then he is going to have a very hard time. So he actually wanted to, to, be, to stay married to her. I'm not sure if she didn't want to stay married to him, what he was hoping for exactly, but that happens sometimes. People do want to stay married even if the other spouse doesn't want to. And maybe he thought he could, uh, he could win her back if she was free of her family's clutches. I don't know. And, but that, that was the question. So the question was, is this get a valid get or not? So, Maram Leblin writes, This question is Tzarechiyun. This question requires careful analysis. As I said, the, Mar- the Maram wrote a bunch of chuvas on this. The first chuva itself is about six pages, and then he has other chuvas, uh, follow-up chuvas. He writes, this is a, a novel question. He hasn't seen anything quite like this in the halachic literature. He goes on and on, and his basic ruling is that the get is butel. The get is void. And his basic point we can summarize in a sentence. His basic point is conceptually very simple. We've been alluding to this all along. His basic point is, this is a conditional get. The get was conditional on his, on his death. If he dies, he wants her to be divorced, so she shouldn't have to worry about chalitza. But if he lives, he would never divorce her. As the Maram says later, he says he wouldn't have divorced her for all the money in the world. He wanted to stay married to her. So the get is conditional, and therefore the condition was not met. He survived, and he wants to return to her, and therefore the get is not valid. Now, the problem with that argument, of course, is, is that the get was not conditional, that the, the Masadr told him explicitly, there is no condition in a get. We do not issue get in al 
And he accepted that, that the get was not being done conditionally. And that's why I think all the other postkim said that it was a valid get. Nevertheless, the Maram Lublin's position is, briefly, to, to summarize, that the get has an implicit condition. The entire context of the get, all the discussions, all the, all the context and background of this get, makes it crystal clear that his intention was only to divorce her provisionally, on condition, on, in the event of his death. Therefore, even though it was not explicitly stated as a condition, it is a condition anyway, and therefore the get is considered a get mutta, a get that was given under false pretenses, under incorrect assumptions, and the get is batal. The Maram fleshes this out. Again, I skipped most of his tshuva, I, I omitted, but just to read some of his conclusions, he says, since they told him before the get that if, she, that if you recover, she will, uh, you can go and remarry her, that is kitnai gomer. That is as though they made an actual tnai. The get is implicitly on that condition. He never intended to divorce her irrevocably, regardless of, of his fate. And uh, it was never his intention. This is where he says that line. Even had they given him all the money in the world, he would never have divorced her. If he, had he known it would be irrevocable and he'd be giving up his wife, either because he loved her or because he would have made better arrangements for the money, whatever the reason is, but uh, he never would have done this, Maram says. He understood that everything was being done just uh, as, as a formality to, to help her in case, in, in case he died. He never intended that she should just be able, that, he, that, that she should just be able to pay the knas and walk away and she could remarry. Had he known this, he would never have divorced her. And that, so it is, even though it was not an explicit snai, it is 100% clear that the get was given with this limitation, with this implicit condition, and therefore the condition was not met, and therefore the get is void. Furthermore, he says, in addition to the, to the fact that he certainly, that the whole, the, his whole mindset here was only to divorce her provisionally, if he doesn't survive, when they made the kisher, when they made the, the, the second document that was supposed to bind them together, that was supposed to commit her to return to the marriage, they told him that this is something that's binding and it's secure and it's reliable. Had he realized uh, that, that they had completely pulled the wool over his eyes, that the, that the thing wasn't worth the paper it was written on because the ksuva was outstanding and the ksuva would just wipe away everything, everything she would have to owe him, the ksuva would just nullify that. She'd be free to walk away without owing him a penny on the contract. He, on the contrary, he would owe her a lot of money. That's also a tremendous toast. Had he realized that, that the whole paper they gave him wasn't worth the paper it was written on, so then, uh, certainly he would never have divorced her. Excuse me, Rabbi. Yes. Uh, is, is there such a thing that he could have written the get that this get goes into effect five minutes before I die? Yes. So the, the Gemara talks about this. The, the Gemara talks about a get that is given, that the get does not take effect until a certain time in the future, which can be defined also in a provisional way, in a contingent way, like you said, to, to, that the get should take effect five minutes before my eventual, my eventual death, whenever that is established to be, that, that isn't what he did, right? We, we, can, we, we can consider why he didn't do that, but that's not what he did. So had he done that, right, that, that, then he never died, so then the get wouldn't, wouldn't have taken effect. But he didn't do that, he just gave a standard automatic get and was relying on the, on, on the representations of the family and the Masadra Gittin that he'd be safe, and he wasn't, but you're right, uh, had he realized what was going to happen, there might have been other ways that he could... Again, I don't know if we do that today, the same way we don't make it tonight. I don't know if in practice we would issue such a get. The Gemara talks about such getting. But yes, theoretically, if they wrote such a get, then, uh, then, then, then you can do that, at least Medina de Gemara. Why, why isn't the get invalidated because of the shenanigans of the, of the Rabbanim who did do all of this? Why doesn't it... The, the fact that it's being discussed that they tricked him this and that... Why doesn't that invalidate the whole process? Well, the Maram Lublin said it did. That's, ex- that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying that it is the shenanigans of the family and the Masadar that invalidate the get. That's, that, that's exactly the argument he's making. The other post who disagreed, again, we're, we're, not, we're not going to be studying their chuvas tonight. There is, there is another side to the story, which actually was the dominant side to the story, but we're not going to be studying that tonight, maybe another day. But we'll have to see why, why, why the other postkim didn't agree with this. But the, the, the basic problem is that the Maram has to overcome is that, just like in, in, in law and in contract, if, if, if you have an explicit contract, you know, there's the Four Corners law, you know, the, the, that, that, the Four Corners rule, a contract is a, is a strong document. If you, if you can't produce 
if the contract didn't make any exceptions and explicitly said something, it's difficult to just say, well, uh, external context indicated that they didn't mean to, and that, uh, but they signed and they wrote it explicitly. So obviously there are exceptions for bad faith and other things. Obviously there are exceptions, and in halacha there are exceptions as well. But, but, but that was the key point being debated here. At what point does, does the bad faith conduct of the, of the party of the other side, at what point does that rise to the level that that can actually invalidate the get. So, but, but, but your point is what the Maram Lublin is saying. It's, it's, that's essentially what he's saying, that the, not so much the shenanigans, but the fact that he was deceived and he was uh, manipulated, that's what it boils down to, the fact that he wasn't giving the get with a clear understanding, with a correct understanding of what was going on, that's what the Maram Lublin felt, that that is enough to invalidate the get. So... Right. Is that, could that be a lie? Well, it, it is true that we don't do that. I mean, it is true that, that a misadder gitten under almost any circumstance does not, does not uh, make it tonight. I don't know if there are any cases where they will, but, but it, it is true that a get al tonight is virtually unheard of today. Oh, okay. So that, that much is true. I, I, was, I was just attending a get recently where the misadder gitten was going through his standard questions and he asked... Uh, are you giving the get, uh, you know, of your own free will or unconditionally? Well, the other question was of your own free will as opposed to unconditionally. And the fellow said, we're giving it because X, Y, Z. And so that was a whole, uh, that, 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 that was an immediate uh, red light. And we had to spend 20 minutes discussing it and clarifying whether they, that was really what they were saying or not. But yeah, but we don't do that. That was a little bit different. That had more to do with uh, compulsion or duress. But yeah, but we, 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 we don't do a get out tonight. If the person says a condition, we will sit down with him and reason it through with him. If he's really making a condition, we will not give the get until he can be persuaded to give the get unprovisionally. So and I've seen cases like that where, that, where the, I think I recall even one case where, where, uh, where, where they walked out. They wouldn't do the get until the husband, because the husband wasn't willing to make an unequivocal statement that the get was uh, absolutely, positively unconditional. But, um, okay. So... Particularly, he says the. Particularly, he says, he says the. There were all these mistakes. There were these errors being made. He quotes a Gemara: "Get mutez puzzle, a get that was uh, given by deceiving the person who gave it. The get is not valid." Particularly, this guy, he says, he was young, only sixteen. Lonisa be'ele, he was naive. He was not a sophisticated person. He was a, he was a stranger in a strange land. Ger be'eretz nachria, and he was gravely ill. Certainly, he said he couldn't uh, have a clear-eyed and dispassionate uh, analysis of the halacha, he says, to understand Getstam and Tanai. They told him, everything you're doing is to just say this, and everything is going to be in, in your interest, and it's going to work the way you want it. So he understood it was a Tanai. He didn't know the exact words to make it Tanai, so he didn't know the exact words. But, the, but the, they told him, this is what you have to do. He didn't understand he was being tricked. He didn't realize. He certainly understood that the Get would not be... Uh, irrevocable and absolute. Pasha to Pasha to, he says, it is absolutely clear that this is a get mutta, a get given as a, as a product of deception, and it is not valid. Then he quotes uh, one of the objections of the, the Mekilim, those who held it was a good get. There is a, an ancient cherem of Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam instituted a cherem against anyone who starts casting aspersions on a valid get. Anyone who starts challenging a get is put in cheir. Menatam apparently had trouble or was worried about trouble of troublemakers who would start saying it's not a good get. Menatam put them in cheir. So anyone who challenges the legitimacy of a get is going to be put in cheir. So Maram Lublin says, invoking Menatam is ridiculous, he says. He says, people who say such things don't, are, 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 are those chazal categorized as those who don't know Batib Gitin the Kedushin. He says, all the tshuvas of Achronim are full of questions like this about whether Gitin are good or not. Rebbeinatam never meant to shut down discussion by saying you can't debate again. If it's a problem, it's a problem. Of course you have to debate it. So whatever Rebbeinatam meant, he says, uh, he, he didn't mean that a competent Talmud Chacham who has a legitimate issue with a get is not allowed to raise it because uh, it's a cherem of being moti lies all again. Of course not. Uh, that, that's how the halakhic process works. People have to have the, the freedom to express their halakhic opinion, he says. So the... 
what does Rebbeinu Tam mean? So the, so the Maram and others try to explain exactly what, so the people try to discuss what Rebbeinu Tam does mean exactly. Whatever, he, bad faith arguments, if, if it's some post can say, if you were there and you, and, and you accepted the get at the time, you can't change your mind later. Whatever Rebbeinu Tam meant, he certainly, he certainly couldn't mean that a posik has no right to, uh, to raise a good faith, legitimate halachic objection to a get. Therefore, he says, I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed to, uh, to express my, my opinion about this get. Any, any marahara, he says, who's going to try to uh, support this get and allow her to remarry, he's going to be punished by God. Such a serious isser, vicious ish. Shomen lahachmer velo lahakel. Klal haole, he says, the bottom line is, in my opinion, for all these reasons, the woman needs a new get from the husband, merutzono hatov, given out of his own free will, without compulsion and duress, without fear or faith, without uh, compulsion at least, without uh, manipulation. The woman cannot remarry until she receives such a get. That is my opinion. So this is the first segment of his tshuva. It goes on for several pages. I omitted most of it. Then he has a section where he enumerates the, in detail the arguments of the other side, proceeds to knock them down, in his opinion, and he writes, and he, and he concludes again, for all these reasons, the lenient view has no basis for allowing this woman, Bathsheba, to remarry. Minadin, Minasvara, until she gets a second get, she's not allowed to remarry, and so on. And this is his conclusion in, the, in his first tshuva. Then he, then he says he got, he sent this around to other people. Uh, other people sent their responses to him, and he says he got endorsements from numerous chachamim. It seems that in the long run, the, the overwhelming consensus of most of the Gedolei Torah of Europe were actually against the Maram. They supported the, the lenient view. But there were a number of those, there were a number of chachamim who did support them at the Maram Lublin. The most, noted, most notable one, as, they, as we're going to see in, in a moment, was the Lavush. But he also had, he also had askamas from a number of of lesser, less, lesser known figures. One of them in particular has a line that I always find memorable. One of the Maram supporters wrote, acknowledging that Maram was in a minority here, possibly, or that other Chachamim might disagree, he, but, but the Maram supporter was unfazed. He writes, If you put all the Chachamim of Poland and Russia in one, in one side of a balance scale, and on the other side, you put Harav HaGadol HaGon, the Maram Lublin, on the second side of the scale. Hu machriyas kulam. He will outweigh all the other Chachamim of Poland and Russia, meaning Ashkenazic Jewry, pretty much. He says, harifa, with the, the keenness of his analysis and his erudition that he displayed in this tshuva, and therefore, he may be a minority, but he's an army of one. It doesn't matter. He has won this debate. He has uh, overwhelmed everyone with his Talmudic acumen, and therefore I agree with him. So the Maram Lublin had some support. He also had uh, a lot of opposition. His strongest supporter was Ramordechayafa, the author of the Lavush. Ramordechayafa is famous for his Lavush, a multi-volume work on Shulchan Aruch, and Arachayim, Yardeh, Chashemishpat, Avon Ezer, one of the one of the towering postkim of the time. He is less well-known as the author of Chuvas, but in this incident, in, in this episode, he wrote a number of Chuvas, several Chuvas, in which he strongly supported the Maram Lublin stringent view. And one of his, he wrote three or four different Chuvas. One of his last Chuvas was written to address a problem which uh, I always quetch that is uh, a problem in our time, but apparently it was a problem in earlier times as well. There was a rumor that had been spreading that Rabbi Mordechai Yaffa had retracted, that he had uh, dropped his stringent view and gone over to the lenient side. People were spreading some kind of rumor like that. I don't know if it was based on anything, if it was simply a misunderstanding, if it was a malicious rumor, if there was any basis, if he said something misleading or ambiguous, but whatever it was, a rumor was spreading that Ramor Chayafa had recanted and had joined the side of the Mekilim. So he wrote back a... Uh, a vigorous, full-throated tshuva, a couple of tshuvas denying that he had done so. And one of his tshuvas, the last tshuva he wrote on the topic, was written apparently three days before he died. He writes repeatedly in the tshuva that he is gravely ill. As a matter of fact, if you skip for a moment to the, to the end of the tshuva, he writes that, um, he writes that uh, 
after he signs, he, when he signs his name in the, the, in the last couple of lines on the handout, the last paragraph, the last couple of paragraphs, he writes that he's signing Chosem Biyadayim Rafos. He's signing with weak hands because he was gravely ill on Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni Yer Shinayin Beis. And then there's a, there's a postscript where a couple of uh, community officials write, they say, He is gravely ill. He's, he was literally on his deathbed. He was uh, feeling, feeling, very, very, feeling very ill, he says. And he, apparently he still managed to write this letter. But they say that his, that his hands were so weak, were so heavy, were so weak, that it's practically illegible, his scroll. So he asked us to certify and endorse that this is indeed, I don't know if he wrote the whole thing or he just signed the, a letter that he dictated, but he actually signed it. But his, 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 uh, his at death's door scroll was so weak, that it was so, uh, was, was, was so poor that he was worried it would be illegible. He asked a couple of community scribes to certify his signature. And uh, therefore we are doing so, b'chein ashrinhu v'kaimnuhu, one scribe, Mordechai ben Yosef, Sofer Vashamash of Posen, and Yosef Sofer, son of Shlomo Halevi, they are certifying that this is indeed Mordechai Yafa's signature, and he died several days later. So he wrote, this, 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 he wrote several tshuvas. This last tshuva then, that we're going to look at briefly, he wrote, this is a, uh, this is a remarkable context. The, as we mentioned, this argument spanned a couple of years, the year Shinayin Aleph and Shinayin Beis, 1611 and 1612. Some of these discussions happened at the Great Yerid. They used to have these great fairs where people, largely for business, but there would also be, there would also be great uh, assemblies for politics and communal affairs and Torah. So at, this, at these Yerids, at this Yerid, there was a, the, the, the Gedolim of Europe were trying to get together to somehow resolve this uh, ongoing controversy. And they had a tremendous debate about it. There was actually, so the Mordechai Yaffa mentions in his letter that the Mekilim, the, the, the school of thought, the lenient school of thought, the dominant school of thought, was pushing for a coordinated letter to be sent out that the consensus, a consensus was reached that the get is valid. Now, somehow, the, the, the organizing body here was the Vad Shalosh though it was the group of Parnasim and Rashim and Higim, was the group of communal leaders the Vad Shalosh the the storied Jewish uh, internal political group that, that ran Jewish life, public Jewish life, for centuries in Eastern Europe. The Vad Shalosh was largely a political and uh, financial body. It had to do with taxes. It had to do with representing the Jewish community before the, the sovereign powers of the time. It had to do with uh, other political issues. It, it, it did have to do with some internal governance as well. They did pass different types of sumptuary laws and different types of regulations, uh, debt collection, and so on. It, it was a, a storied governmental body that regulated Jewish life in Poland and Eastern Europe. It was not primarily, it was not fundamentally, to the extent that I understand its function, it was not primarily a halachic body. The, some, it, it had lay leaders. The Rabbanim were involved as well. I, I don't actually know in detail the exact organizational structure of this body, but it's not primarily famous for being a halachic organization. It was not the same thing as the modern Moeses Kedola HaTorah. It, 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 it dealt with uh, more hard-headed issues. It dealt with, again, mostly uh, political and financial issues, and it was largely a lay organization. But nevertheless, in this particular case, apparently, the, the Vad Shalosharatzos was brought in to, I guess, I guess the Gedolim had such an intractable argument, the, the Gedolei Torah, the Poskim, had such a, uh, they were at such loggerheads that I guess people felt that the Vad Shalosharatzos was a useful framework for trying to resolve this machlokas. So both sides were apparently, apparently appealing to the, the Vad Shalosharatzos to resolve the matter in their favor and to... Uh, to somehow make the official position of, of European Jewry to endorse to, 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 for the official for the official position of European Jewry to endorse their view. So the the Vad Arbaratzos, Vad Gimelaratzos at the time, eventually they, 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 they did get involved, and the they eventually did, uh, I, I haven't found the original documents, but at least according to Wikipedia, the Vaj Shalosh did eventually paskin against the Maram Leblin, against the Lavush, 
they sided with uh, Rav Gedele Hadar, which, to a certain extent, was an eminently reasonable position. Putting aside the merits of the case, it, it is a fact that, that it is apparently a fact that Rav Gedele Yisrael sided with the lenient view. But we're going to read now that the last of the sources I have in the handouts was an impassioned plea, again, by the Ramor Chayafa on his deathbed, imploring the Vadar Varatzos, the Vad Shalash Aratzos, to, uh, to rule stringently, to reject the petition of the lenient view to, to rule the get was valid, and instead to accept his view that the get was not valid, the view of him and the Maram Lublin. He begins with a paragraph, as was the style of flowery encomiums, to the leaders of the, of the Jewish communities, those who stand at the breach and protect the interests of Klal Yisrael, people who do the will of God, Parnasim, so Parnasim were typically the lay leaders, the people who had uh, responsibility for the temporal well-being of the community, the crowns are on their heads, the Rosh Yeshivas, he says, the, 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 the Mare the and so on. So I'm addressing all of you with my, uh, with my plea here, he says. He says, I've already written to you my Psach Risha and my Psach Achron. I've already, I've already written at least two letters on this topic explaining why I think the woman cannot remarry. The get is invalid. The get was, it was obtained under deceit and manipulation and it was, it was implicitly provisional and so on. The woman in, divorced in Vienna has no head to remarry. She needs a second get. Without a second get, she cannot remarry. Now I heard, he says, I've heard that some of the Mekilim, some members of the lenient faction are... Uh, are claiming that they have persuaded me, they've seduced me with their, uh, with their sophistry to, to, to uh, retract my previous position and to agree with them and to endorse the get. Says Ramordechai Yafa, Kel Elokei Haruchos, he swears by God, Kel Elokei Haruchos L'chal Hashem knows, Hashem is my witness, he says, I didn't dream of such a thing. Such a treif idea, machsheves zaru pigu lo choshvim, I would never dream of such an abominable step that they think that I would uh, recant my position as a matter of halacha and side with them. Chas v'shalom. He says, now, I am mutal eres devai, lo aleinu. I am deathly ill. I, he actually did die of this illness several days later. I am, my fate rests in the hands of God. Tolabadin melech malchem lachem. May he support me. Yisadeni, l'shloch li trufa, refua. May Hashem send me refua shalema. But nevertheless, on my deathbed, he says, on my, at this critical moment, I, am, I, I want to reiterate my support uh, for, and, and support my, my last tshuva. She is not muteras unless she receives a second get. Anyone who is makel on this, he says, anyone who is lenient, has it, what, he, what he is doing is allowing an ashes ish to remarry without a get. He is going to be causing mamzerim b'Yisrael. Chalila, chalila, chalila. I say it three times, he said, plus azimni. Three times, Khalila, he says, to even consider such a thing, to do such a thing, she's married, she's still, she's still uh, connected to her husband, he says, and I'm sure that those who fear God will accept what I'm saying, he says. Now, furthermore, I've determined, he says, if Hashem will grant me life, which he did not, but if Hashem will grant me life, he says, I am going to uh, promulgate and disseminate my psak throughout the diaspora, he says, to, uh, to rebut the opinion of the Mekilim, and uh, they're, they're appealing to the, the Rosne Yukatsine, to the powerful leaders of the Gimel Aratzos, to issue a public ruling at the Rid of Lublin this, uh, this year, to Matir the Mugureshes, Alma, to issue a public lenient ruling. Therefore, he says, Bakashasi Shetucha Mehem, I implore you, he says, that don't listen to them, he says, don't issue such a ruling. This is what I'm telling you, he says, woman Bathsheba, daughter of the Kutzin, the aristocrat, the important fellow, Rabbibish of, of Vienna, he says, Asura Alma below get Sheni. She's absolutely prohibited without a second get. And he concludes by, by wishing bracha and success to those who listen to him, listen to the Torah. He says, Chosem Biyadayim Rafos, I sign with uh, weak and trembling hands, Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni. Second day of Rosh Chodesh, the Rosh Chodesh of the second Adar, Yer Shinai in Beis, Mordechai Hanikra Yafa. And then the last couple of lines are the endorsement I mentioned earlier, 
by the self-rim that they certify and ratify that this is indeed Rabbi Mordechai Yaffa's uh, tshuva. So this is, this is the story in a nutshell, or more accurately, this is one side of the story in a nutshell. This is the view of these two great gedolim, the Maram Lublin and Rabbi Mordechai Yaffa. They felt that a get issued in such circumstances cannot be valid. The get was never intended to be valid. The get was obtained via deception and manipulation that even though it was not an explicit tenai, such a get is not valid. And this is a fundamental concern, and, and, and this is something that obviously has huge ramifications in the later halacha, to the extent that Maram Lublin is right, to the extent that, again, we'd have to see what points, what points did the Mekilim disagree with. Did they, did they have a different version of the story, and so on. But the Maram Lublin's chumrah is that even if its explicit tenai is not made, if we believe it's clear from context that the get was only being entered into under, uh, with, 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 a certain, with a certain mindset, then the get is not going to be valid, and she's an Asian ish, and she cannot remarry. This was the position of Maram Lublin or Mordechai Yaffa. Again, they were a minority view, and, and ultimately they lost out to the, the, whole, uh, the whole army of Gedolim on the other side, who felt, uh, for reasons that we're not getting into today, that the get was good. The Mordechai Yaffa actually had a very curious position in his first tshuva, which he ultimately backed down from. In his first tshuva, he had an even more stringent view. He said, not only can she get married without a new get, she can't even get married with a new get, he said. She's in a very puzzling kind of limbo, that the get is somehow valid enough that she's no longer married to the first guy, so he can't issue a new get, but she's also not totally divorced. She's still connected to him somehow, and she can't get married at all. The only thing she can do is to go remarry the first guy, become his wife again, and then maybe he can give her a new get. That's a very strange view to take. We, we do have things like that occasionally in Elchus Gittin, but that is a very unusual and hard-to-understand position. In the Marams, in the Ramorachayafa's later letters, he conceded to the he conceded to Ramor, he conceded to the Maram Lublin, particularly because of the facts, the way the Maram Lublin expressed them. He came around to the simpler, easier to understand view of the Maram Lublin that he could issue a new get, but the first get, certainly he, he, he never, he said he, that he never wavered from, he, he explains, the fact that the first get is not valid is something which to him is obvious, absolutely pushed, there's no room for disagreement, Machsheves, Zaru, Pigel. So this was the, this is what happens sometimes in Allah. you can have one, one group of Chachamim thinking something is so pushed and obvious and leaves no room for debate and is absolutely, uh, the get is batel, and then you have a whole bunch of other chachamim on the other side, all saying, no, the get is valid, she's allowed to remarry, and hopefully another time we'll get the chance to go through some of the shittas of the, the other school, understand why they were lenient, and try to compare them to the Maram Leblin, and try to understand exactly what, uh, what the key points of contention are between the two schools.